Almighty pod me home. Religion, science, myths, and legends all point toward the next evolution in human consciousness. What do the invisible realms hold? Who's telling us and how do they know? We are investigating insights from around the world to answer the question, what does the material world arise out of and where do we go once we've dropped the body? You're about to go interdimensch with Robert Wallace and Adam Jeffrey to Undiscovered Spiritual Realities. I see you. How your unconscious writing, favorite foods, and facial structure reveals your soul nature. Hello? Anybody in there? Falling into everyday states of meditation. Then, praying in your thoughts, thinking in your prayers, the differences, and making them one. Also, will technology bring people closer to the spirit, or will the dark hand of materiality fill itself with the hopes and dreams of your social media accounts? Finally, schooling as it relates to sucking the life out of children and shaming God out of them. All right, and welcome to Spiritual Reality, <laughs> a show all about the other dimensions of life. So... Uh, today, uh, as we discussed, we're going to be talking initially about some of the uh, nonverbal modes of communication, some of the ways uh, your soul uh, shows itself, whereas it's hard on its sleeve, shows its hand, and uh, what you can do to prevent it. No, I'm just kidding. You can't stop these things. <laughs> so one of the things that needs to be discussed um, post-haste is your handwriting. If you're writing in print because you can't write in cursive, well, you're missing out on a very free and very important way of modifying your consciousness. And that's by learning what the cursive characters of your handwriting are telling about your personality and how you can change those specifically to change parts of your personality. Adam, yeah. how does that make you feel? Um. It's a bit terrifying for me. Yeah. To, to be honest with you, I stopped writing in cursive intentionally after high school. Intentionally. Yes, because my cursive handwriting was what deemed you, terrible by most people who would attempt to read it. And what are you hiding? What am I hiding? Yeah. Uh, at you, least insecurity about my handwriting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Good cover. At least. I, yeah. I did say that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the fact is, uh, more and more people nowadays are going cursiveless because the school system has either uh, not enforced the cursive writing, mm. uh, or like you said, you know, they're self-conscious. Uh, Greg is standing by. Greg, do you write in Chicken Scratch or calligraphy? One or the other. <laughs> I was trying to think about it after you were, you were talking about it. I'm like, I don't think, I can't remember the last time other than signing my name that I've written in cursive. It's probably been 20, mm. 20 15, 15 years uh, at least. Dang. Yeah, that's me. You're missing out. I'll tell you this. When I discovered this a little over 10 years ago or so, well, it was about 15 years ago now, uh, I was 
you know, really excited about the possibility, and I did an online test at handwritingwizard.com. Y'all should go there. You get like a, a, a paragraph, you write it out in cursive, and then you're asked multiple, multiple choice questions about certain of the characters. And then you're given this analysis. And based on the way you've written out your O's or the, how high your H is or how low your T bar is crossed, uh, parts of your personality are known and described very concisely. Wow. So the most telling of all lowercase letters, of all letters really, is the lowercase T. Hmm. So the height of your T uh, tells us a bit about your pride or humility. So if it's a tall T compared to the rest of your writing, then you are a proud person. If it's a very short T, that means not tall. This shows humility. And the other component of the T is your T bar, where you cross it off. So if you cross it at the very uh, top of your T, this shows somebody with a really high self-esteem. And if you cross it low on your T bar, uh, on your T stem rather, then you have a low self-esteem. So what happens is we go into school, the teachers say, you're going to draw it this high and you're going to cross it right through the middle. Mm. She don't know what she's talking about. <laughs> she doesn't realize that as long as she's entrained all her students this way, their self-esteems are actually being lowered. Wow. Isn't that something? That is. They don't, th this is a pseudoscience to some people. We don't talk about it, but yet it actually is real and it's affecting people and we're indoctrinating people into certain ways of being. Wow. Steiner Steiner says that we don't really uh think thoughts anymore, but it's that it's the Latin speech, the Latin language which is thinking in us these days. So just by learning the words, the vocabulary and the conceptual understanding of the vocabulary and their meanings, we're actually connecting concept to concept without evaluating the concepts themselves. We're just speaking in symbols, we're not really thinking. Hmm. And I think that is also happening with our handwriting, too. Wow. We don't see how much power we have to control it, reverse engineer it, make it into something else, or to see how it's actually having an impact on us. Wow. So you were going to say something? Well, I'm curious. So what happens when people just completely eliminate cursive writing, when they haven't written in it for 20 years like, like me and Greg? Well, you know, the thing about... You know, handwriting analysis is it tells us something if we have a sample, but, you know, your personality doesn't disappear because you don't write. Right, right. Um, so your personality is always in your handwriting, but your handwriting isn't always in your personality. Gotcha. Might say. Okay. So you've got a couple things going on, you know, without the practice, and I think it is a useful practice of writing in cursive, hmm. there may be an opportunity to refine your personality which as you're refining your handwriting through practice is kind of missed. Hmm. So that might be one thing. Um, and it's, you know, more than that, if a person wants to work on their personality, it's a missed opportunity in terms of an easy tool. You know, if you want to just change your thinking with brute strength, then force yourself to write a different letter. If you can't adapt to a philosophy, find the letter correction and then habitualize it and then, watch the new thinking process come into form. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So that's called graphotherapy. Graphotherapy. People, yeah. People say, well, if I just write out a fake handwriting sample here, is that going to change my handwriting, Mr. Wallace? And as a matter of fact, it will. Wow. 
Yeah. Because <laughs> the same information for your, your self-esteem is located in the same part of your brain as how to cross a T. Yeah. And so as your self-esteem changes, how you cross a T naturally changes. Hmm. And when you start changing the way you write a letter, the characteristic in your mind changes also. It's very interesting. Hmm. So it's a very loaded subject because there's a lot of letters. Right. Greg, what's your favorite letter? Uh, Q. Mm. Wow. Ooh. I'm not going to touch that one. <laughs> he knew that was a, a weak point in my theorem. I don't know much about the cues. So in other uh, ways of thinking expressed in the outside body, outside mm. of handwriting, we have pizza toppings on the docket today. So Yale University <laughs> did a study several years back, and it said that common personality characteristics of people with certain preferred vegetables or toppings, hmm. uh, there is a, a correlation. And so uh, a long time ago, when I was working at a Subway restaurant, I had the experience of seeing people, some of whom loved many pickles, some of whom loved many olives, you know, so you all of a sudden I'm seeing these personality types and people want handfuls of this, handfuls of that. And I'm like, what? It's up with this person. And I would see characteristics. Now, I think I might have talked about this before. And I don't think I was too nice to the pickle people. Because <laughs> to be fair, those people, and they probably are, are not listening with all due respect to those who are, uh, who <laughs> wanted handfuls of pickles on their subs were kind of the, you know, teenage girl mentality hmm. we're in middle school we're kind of live in the moment some might call it irresponsible some might call it like i said living in the moment and this sort of thing yeah so it just um you know, i've heard different kinds of interpretations for that personality type but i noticed the more pickles that i would consume you know i noticed that yeah that would uh, take a lot of fill my head with a lot of air hmm. i don't know if it's the uh Vinegar in the pickles, or if it's the pickles themselves. That's interesting. Isn't that? Um, tomato people, smart people. Hmm. Tomatoes have a lot of lycopene in them. And people who use a lot of brain power, brains are cranking, they need a lot of tomato power. There you go. Um, people that love cucumbers tend to have softer cheeks. I notice that their cheeks are softer. Hmm. And people who like a lot of olives, their skin seems to be more hydrated. Almost, I don't say oily, but it's very uh, hydrated and in that sense. Uh, but anyway, Yale did an official study. So there's the Robert Wallace study I just gave you. Um, wow. And then there's the Yale study, which is, that study was based off the Yale study. So. There you go. All right. So if you, you should just go online and look up what you're eating a lot of, what your favorite food is, and, and learn about yourself. Now, face reading, this is one that is less likely to shift unless you have a habit of having plastic surgery a lot. Um, and this is Chinese face reading. Now, I don't think Adam will mind if I point out his uh, glorious forehead. <laughs> and Chinese, you. You're welcome. In Chinese face reading, a big forehead represents a big picture person. So this is somebody who's looking at global affairs. They're looking at... Uh, all the aspects of a situation from a big perspective and people whose hairline goes a lot further down their forehead, closer to their eyebrows tend to keep themselves busy with details. They like to look at that moment 
and mm. and they can't really process everything else that's going on. Wow. So there's something to be said for that. So so I've been accused of having a little receding hairline, and it's just not so. It's kind of like, you know, it goes up on the sides up here, <laughs> and it's, for me, it's a point of pride, even though pride's a sin. Uh, <laughs> because even though I got my dad's kind of vampiric sort of, you know, coming back around the sides, upper thing, uh, it means my forehead is bigger. I think that helps me think there you go. more broadly. Yeah. Uh, if your chin sticks out, you're a tenacious person. If it's wide, you're a confrontational person. If you have high cheekbones, you're an adventurous person. If you have uh, big lips, then you are a generous person. Hmm. If your eyebrows are really high, then you're a discerning person. This is the kind of person you don't want to rush up on because they are standing back and thinking and assessing. If the eyebrows are lower, then you might get up more in their grill, in their space. Cool. So, fun facts. Um, yes, taller, super interesting. Taller people tend to have longer legs, and their center of gravity uh, kind of requires that they spend more time sitting. Shorter people uh, have shorter legs, which tend to be you know, chunkier because they're on their feet more often. Hmm. They keep their center of gravity. They keep on their feet more often, and they're more active, whereas really tall people find themselves sitting down more often. Very interesting. Hmm. Um, okay, so that's all I'll say about that. But there is a meaning uh, about everything. Your eye color, there's something called irisology, where if you look at a person's iris, and based on the designs and the shapes and distortions and things in their iris, you can see aspects of their whole body. So in this quadrant of, you know, the iris is the kidneys, and this one's the liver, and here's this, that. And where's this little splotch at? Oh, it's over in the kidneys. And it's kind of like uh, acupuncture, you know, we have meridians all over the body. Hmm. And so, you know, we can look at the bottom of the foot and, you know, acupuncture and we can hit the sinuses, we can hit wherever. So it's a microcosm, you know, everything that's small is represented in the face and in the body and in the handwriting and in the tastes and the flavors. And, wow. you know, everything is represented in the hand by itself, you know, in the acupuncture hmm. sense. And so yeah. it's very meta. That's pretty cool. So um, Christy tells me, my wife tells me that my eyes change colors mm -hmm. depending on what I'm wearing. Mm. Isn't so, that interesting? Yeah. I guess I would have to uh, put together a new belief. How does that make me <laughs> feel? Well, you know, whenever changes, you know, occur, it's because of an inner change. Hmm. So maybe you're, uh, you know... You got multiple personalities that I don't know about? I don't think so. I think you do. I don't know. <laughs> I know that blue eyes are for intelligent people have blue eyes. Brown eyes are generous people. Cool. Um, each of the colors kind of have a meaning. I had a dog with a blue eye and one gray eye. Interesting. I've known people like that too. Yeah. But uh, the shifting of the eyes, I mean, aside of your run-of-the-mill reptilian on TV, shape-shifting reptilian, um, <laughs> I don't know much about. Okay. I'll have to look into that. So we'll go into your shape-shifting later. Cool. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now, a very important thing uh, that we have to get to today is numerology. Yes. And have I done your numerology report? You have not, no. And I, I'm super I, curious. I have robbed you. 
of many years of understanding. <laughs> now, if y'all don't know what numerology is, it comes out of ancient Judaism, Kabbalah, Kabbalah things of this nature. Uh, if you go to dkoz.com, that's D-E-C-O-Z.com, you can get a free numerology report. Uh, you can buy the software and make unlimited reports from that or get like a, a free initial report, which is you must do. Cool. And, uh, and I bought the software because I have to make so many reports for everybody. Hmm. But obviously I haven't made one for you yet. So what is numerology? Well, mathematical equations are done on your birth date and on your birth name and your current name. So your name is uh, re-represented in numerical values. So mm. each letter has a numerical value. And so for Robert, R-O-B-E-R-T, that'd be 962592. And so, and the double digits are used, for instance, the letter K though is number 11. And whereas some numbers like number 15 uh, would be reduced one plus five is six, a number like 11, 22, or 33 master numbers would stay in that form. So a K would stay an 11. So the way you do math will, um, some of the rules and then the equations you're doing will get you certain values. And depending on those values, they'll be reduced or they'll stay in their high value state and you'll have a more glorious interpretation of the number. Hmm. Okay. It hurts uh, my brain a little bit. I know because I just went off on a tangent. But you know, no, no, it just stretches it. It's a, it's a good hurt. It's like you know when you haven't stretched your legs the way you needed to in a while. And okay, good. Yeah. Uh, because the thing about numerology is, if you are at a place of indecision, if you're trying to find yourself, if you've done everything but that, I mean, I'll tell you when I found it, it gave me a massive insight into my past and who I would be for the next 15, 20 years to present time. And then, you know, who I'll continue to become moving into my, you know, sixties and nineties and however long. And the stuff really does in a sense, know you better than you know yourself. I mean, especially those of us who are just like living and not particularly trained in any sort of psychology or anything that would give us a uh, heads up. Hmm. There's a lot about each individual that if we will pull up a numerology report on us would make everything make sense. Oh, that's wow. why I am the way I am. Or And you'll realize that there's a lot of God-ordained personality traits in you that maybe you thought was just your mismanagement of your personality up until now, but they're really your God-given challenges. They you know, really are for you to overcome. These are specific. They're not illusions. You are this way, and it's for a reason. Hmm. And so uh, I think the numerology report really enforces the fact that God has his mark in everything and nothing in this realm is of chance. So I will get you that report. And if anybody's listening out there, as long as it doesn't get crazy, you can uh, email me at robert at newprecept.com with your full name at birth, your current name, short name, and your birth date. And uh, I'll send you a report. No problem. Uh Next thing on the docket, praying in your thoughts, thinking in your prayers, the difference, and making them one. Hmm. So the reason why we can see Adam's glorious hair follicles today is because of a discussion some time ago about the conundrum <laughs> of pray without ceasing, but then the Bible also says that whoever prays with his head covered uh, shames his head. 
So if you're always praying, but you can't cover your head, then you should never be wearing a hat. That's the math. Um, but praying isn't always thinking, and thinking isn't always praying, even though I think that's the ideal. Uh, because even though the only thing we do without really ceasing, other than breathing, is thinking, and mm-hmm. therefore our thoughts should be prayers. Right. And since God does hear our thoughts as prayers, <clears throat> you know, at the same time, not everything we think is worthy to be prayer. You know, sometimes <laughs> it's like, what is he doing? You know, it's things that we would be ashamed of if they mm-hmm. were like put on a divine platter. And uh, so sometimes there's like a separation. Can we treat all of our thoughts holily? Holily. holily. That would be the question. I like that. Huh. Hmm. Adam, is that possible? Is it possible? Yeah. Uh, yes, but yes. it's far. It's just far from us right now. Isn't it? I, it feels far from it us. It feels but far I, from. I have us. to it's answer. Not, yes, it's. Uh, I think that it's interesting to to reflect on the idea that God does see your thoughts. There, it, it's oh. that whole thing. There, there's nowhere we can hide. You know, they, you you can't hide in your own head. You can. You know, it's like you said. There are things that we think, and if we're honest about it, we would be ashamed if everybody else saw it. But God sees it all. Mm. And I've yeah. always I've always found that, you know, that used to be scary to me, but now I think that it's pretty beautiful because I, I, I believe that God loves us despite what horrific things we might think that we're thinking. You know, we might go, wow, that's awful. And then we go, but God loves me anyway. You know, and that, that has always drawn me to the idea of God and drawn me to want to experience. It's like, man, if God can love me, knowing everything that's ever gone through this head of mine, I'm drawn to that. Yeah. I, I, I'm down with that. <laughs> hey, Greg, um, tell us about the darkness of your heart. Um, <laughs> he really loves to put you on the spot, Greg. Catches <laughs> me so off guard with this stuff. The darkness of my heart. I don't even know. So you're such a nice and sweet guy, but, you know, under the surface. <laughs> <laughs> Who are we, really? <laughs> I'd like to think that deep down I'm the same person that I am on the surface, but mm. I, I don't. I mean, when I was younger, I was kind of an awful person, but I, as I've gotten older, I've uh, I've become a much kinder, kinder, gentler person. Yeah. Uh, I was kind of a egotistical or egomaniacal, or I'm trying to think of the other word for it, but I was, I was just kind of a jerk to a lot of people and didn't really realize I was being a jerk because it was just my just my nature. I was just kind of kind of had a bit of an ego with everybody and as I've gotten hmm. older it it just kind of went away. You, know, you hit the nail on the head because that's kind of how I am. I don't even realize it sometimes. Yeah. yeah for just, sure. I'm just a egomaniac and here we are. Yeah. On the Robert Wall show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know though it's like it, it to me it's this crazy thing we've talked before about how thoughts can be can be like seen as spiritual warfare. You know, we choose which thoughts to give power and to hold on to and to claim and which thoughts to push the ladders away as they're coming in, as we've, we've talked about this over and over again. And I go, man, for me, I don't know if it's, it's this way for everybody, but this is a constant, constant work. I used to call it struggle, but I just consider it work. You know, it's just um, because I, I do want to be a kind person. I do want to love people unconditionally but sometimes these thoughts come in and they they're just judging and they're criticizing and they find the bad and it's like no push the ladder away and find the good 
and that's work. You know, so sometimes what, what, what people see as an outer man manifestation of kindness is actually an inner work of saying, no, I'm going to choose to think kind thoughts about you. I'm going to choose to find the good in this person because there's, there's some other voice trying to tell me that you're garbage, and, and I don't believe that. Mm-hmm. That's is, really is, is it just that way for me? or is no, it, that's, this... I think it's the way for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. We all have to confront uh, self-negative self-talk. Yeah. Uh, and you know, you can have a, a, a great big ego, but as long as you're still comparing yourself to other people, you're going to find a shortcoming. Yeah. And, um, as long as, uh, we're not finding our identity in God and our spiritual relationship, then we're going to find it in materiality. We're going to find it in personality. We're going to find it in, uh, the world. And mm-hmm. with that comes ego problems, right? You know? So I think everybody's susceptible to that. Yeah. I have one other thought about ego, too, that I, that I have been learning and am continuing to learn, is that there are two sides of ego. I think a lot of times we just think of ego as being prideful, and, and that's, that's we equate the two. You know, that, oh, I, I am the greatest, and life revolves around me. But I think that there's another side of ego that, that tri- trips us up and tricks us that I've been learning, and that is like a self-pity. It's mm-hmm. still a self-focus, but it's, oh, woe is me. Oh, I'm terrible at this. Oh, my gosh, I'm the worst. You mm-hmm. know, so it's, the, it's this other side of ego. It's like, oh, I can't get you to be prideful. Well, I'm going to get you to hate yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't get you to look down on everybody else. Well, I'm going to get you to look down on you. That's an awesome point. Yeah. Because in, in it taps into the other bigger issue that if we're susceptible to things that flatter us, then we're susceptible to things... Uh, criticisms that demean us hmm. so yeah. we don't maintain equilibrium and if you know if people can affect you one way then they can affect you another so equilibrium is being unmoved or maintaining our stillness in our center regardless of whether we're hearing kind words or whether we're hearing hateful words right that's a really good point hmm. yeah because you know and in handwriting, this is a big thing too, especially with the T, the lowercase T, because we can have a high T and it's going to show us somebody with a lot of pride. And they can have a very low T stem uh, or T bar, which means they cross it low. So they have a low self-esteem. So there's mm. a person walking around and they're very prideful, but they feel bad about themselves. Mm. So sometimes we can see an old lady in church and she's all pious and she comes out and starts whopping everybody with her purse. <laughs> She's got that high T, low cross. Wow. We see Macho Man, oh, busting out, you know. Right, right. Ladies Man, everything. A lot of pride, low self-esteem, feels like a small man inside. Wow. But then you have, you know, smaller personalities. You have quainter people, and they have these short T-bars, uh, T-stems. Uh, they're very humble people, but their self-esteem is at the top. Hmm. They feel great for where they're at. So. Yeah. I mean, you can have a high, you can have a lot of pride and a high, high self esteem, more low self esteem, and you can be humble with a higher low self esteem, and those get uh, conflated a lot. That's why I brought that up. Yeah, because yeah. we don't realize those are both aspects of the ego. So right, right, yeah, good point. Cool, Adam Jeffrey, on the job. <laughs> so another thing we need to get to here is. Uh, Falling into everyday states of meditation. 
So Adam was snapping at us, trying to wake us up, finding out if we're present because we're off in a gaze. We're staring at the wall. We're listening, but we're looking right through his head. Is anybody in there? Ali, Ali, oxen free. Well, <laughs> when we fall into meditation, and, and perhaps you've had this happen. You're talking on the phone with somebody, and you got the phone to your ear, and, and you're staring at the ground. And before you know it, you're zoning out. You're just listening to them. Fill your head with everything they want to say. And you're just kind of zoned out. And perhaps uh, you start to have a uh, perception warp. Perhaps you start to move into a spiritual frame of being because of the way your concentration, your attention has been surrendered and the way that you're letting things work on you and move through you. And that mm -hmm. puts you into a, an altered state of consciousness. But a lot of times people don't realize when they're daydreaming they are tapping into a meditation hmm. when they're zoned out on something or nothing at all. If this were more under control, we would call this meditation. Right. Right. And so everybody does it. Uh, but when we go to try to meditate at the yoga studio on the yoga mat, and we're trying to be quiet in our brain, and then the thoughts are coming up, you know, we don't realize how we naturally fell into those states of relaxation and meditation in our day-to-day -day lives because now we're trying to force ourselves to be quiet hmm. instead of just surrender ourselves to emptiness and nothingness and allowing that to be good enough. Hmm. Adam, do you find yourself meditating on accident? Oh, absolutely. I, I have been called... Um, for years, I have been labeled as ADD, mm -hmm. yeah. and I think that that's a big part of why. I mean, I, I've talked before about how I've always been extremely imaginative, so I live inside my head a whole, whole lot, and, and, that, and I used to see that as a flaw, and sometimes I still, that, that ego voice comes in and tells me that it is, you know, but it's something that I've actually tried to work on, because it's, it's, it's interesting because... Um, you want to be present when somebody's talking, but there there come points where I could just totally be gone and just not here in this room at all. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah, for me it's been it's been finding balance. Um, but I like how you said um, you know you you talked about the difference in f trying to force meditation or just relaxing into it, um, and I think that that's why a lot of people struggle with the idea of meditation is that. It, it actually, I think, is something that should come naturally to all of us. Yeah. Um, even people who, who haven't gotten the label of ADD or that aren't imaginative people, you, you see everybody zone out. You know, I, I see some, some of the people that would say, oh, no, no, I never do that. And you see it happen. <laughs> and you can't yeah. help but laugh when you see it happen, you know. Yeah, and, and I think when we have that happen, we, we're more likely to write it off to human error than a religious experience. right. And uh, it's a uh, it, it just goes back to the whole, you know, when you're trying to strain to do this thing, you're making it not happen. Mm. And it seems too simple just to, you know, relax into it. But, yeah, you know, with some knowledge, you'll come to understand that the steps leading up to your spiritual state, uh, if done consciously in love, mm. those are this is a constructive form of meditation. Otherwise, yeah, we might go in and out of consciousness and we're spinning our wheels and, you know. Right. 
So learning how to meditate is important. Interdimensional, cosmic, esoteric meditation. Hmm. Rudolf Steiner. Yeah. Just wanted to say all those words. <laughs> um, so another point we need to touch on is God sees the thoughts of our heart. And a lot of people don't think of the heart as a mind, as a, as a thinking. So in turn, we're still talking about, you know, praying your thoughts and all of this. Yeah. But the Bible talks about the heart as a mind. As a man thinketh in his heart, hmm. so is he. Hmm. You think the heart's down here, the thinking apparatus is up here. You mean as a man feels in his heart, so is he. No, as hmm. a man thinks in his heart. Uh, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Uh, out of the abundance of the heart, so the mouth speaks. Wow. So uh, esoteric terminology, the heart and the mind were the same thing in mm. those, to those ancient writers. And so since we don't think a lot like that, we don't realize that the thoughts we're thinking are really not just reflections of the heart. They're building up the heart. They're making the heart. They're, you know, the objective fruit of the heart is mm. these thoughts that we're, you know, holding on to and thinking on. Mm. And so I was listening to some lecture last night, and it was talking about how we're building up our our spiritual bodies with uh, all of our thoughts, uh, our words, and our deeds, and uh, how they're all baked into our soul, and they make the foundation. They affect every atom of who we are, every atom Jeffrey of who we are. <laughs> so... Uh, you know, it's worth taking on an almost near-obsessive study on the subject. Hmm. You know, the Bible says, you know, don't be a glutton, but be a glutton of the word. Don't covet, but covet the gifts of the Spirit. Hmm. We're not supposed to obsess with anything, but there's only one thing we should probably, you know, consider making exception for, and that is seeking ye first the kingdom of God. Right. right. So this sort of subject matter is really... I feel the only kind of subject matter that will satisfy it once you get there. Yeah. Because you can obsess in anything. You can achieve the heights of success in that field. But we all know that whenever anybody gets into anything that's not spiritually based, they inevitably end up unfulfilled and going after that. Mm. I, I have a thought um, that I think is worthy of sharing and discussing <laughs> about that. So... um we mostly think of the mind and the heart as two different things. Um, you know, that you don't think with your heart, you think with your mind. Uh, and you're talking about it, the equation of those two things. And, and going back to the idea of thinking as, seeing thinking as spiritual warfare. So to me, I, I wonder if the brain kind of functions as, um, as a place where we filter what it is that we're actually going to accept with our heart. So when we think with our heart, it, it, you know, if you're thinking about it in this way, if you're thinking about it in a, what, what am I going to accept as what I should be focusing on, what I should be fixing my thoughts on? So I wonder if the heart could be seen more as the place where we focus our thoughts, whereas the brain is the filter for what that's going to be. So in other words, the, the brain might be spitting out all these negative thoughts about yourself or about someone else or about life, and and you go but I'm going to take the positive from those thoughts, and that's where I'm going to accept it in my heart. So what I think in my heart 
is not necessarily what I'm thinking in my head. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that raises uh, some interesting points. For instance, <clears throat> Jesus thought it nothing to share a mind with God, hmm. and that our our fallen individuality, the mind that we currently have, comes out of a animal nature. And so naturally, it's things of the flesh, for the flesh, or against the spirit. And so it's one thing to uh, have a rationale enter into your mind. It's another thing, like you said, for your heart to sort it out, mm. you know, buffer the idea, elevate the thought, or whatever is the case. Yeah. And so... Uh, yeah, I would tend to agree. You know, I think one of the major differentiations that I've come to understand about this world and the next is that this world gives us a buffer of time between having a thought and then actualizing it. Whereas in the spiritual world, whatever you think you are, it instantaneously mm. comes into being. So there isn't really the time to uh, sift through your thoughts and refine them and mm. and to perfect them in the next dimension is we have the capacity and the space to do here. Wow. So if you don't do it here, then you're doomed to regret it on the other side, only hoping to come back and get a hold of your thoughts so that way you have a tool again when you enter back into the spirit world. Powerful so, stuff. It's a yeah, it's a powerful game of twister. Mm-hmm. You know, that the heart's putting its arm over here and the mind's putting its arm over here and who's on top and who's, you know, how many more spaces and stretching and we just need to keep elevating our thoughts. Absolutely. Filling our head with knowledgeable wisdoms to explain these things to ourselves. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. So today also we need to get on to the, uh, the dark cold hand of uh, materiality. Um, and how it's sucking up all of the humanoid characteristics uh, through the connection of our social media uh, into its web. Hmm. So Steiner talks about this kind of transhumanism, this future where technology creates a, a, a risk, which we're already knee-deep into, of a, a transhumanistic uh, subculture. We're all hooked on our cell phones. Well, not all of us, but those of us who are. And we're inputting this constant stream of data. And obviously Google and all them, I mean, they have access to, they know how people think. And they have artificial intelligence, which will teach them how they think and how to better implement, you know, the, the global collective consciousness of everybody. So what was once a piece of plastic and a piece of metal and became a computer chip and a hardware and became a phone and became a computer is now enlivened with the soul forces that are created out of the life generative forces of the soul of man, which have been installed into the technology. Like it's wow. artificial intelligence has got a, you know, a, a booster shot of, you know, electricity, a defibrillation. It's like a Frankenstein coming alive. <laughs> we'll just put a little wow. bit of our real thoughts in there. And, uh, and now we've elevated this, this matter up into the realms of conscious thought. Wow. It's being Im imbibed, imbued with, you know, higher cosmic forces. And that's a risk that Steiner said would happen. Yeah. If, you know, we continued on and, and, and developed this relationship with technology. So we've created a monster. We have created a monster. Yeah. And the trajectory is only to see it. I mean, what does science, what does modern science want to do right now? It wants to see it to its fullest 
I want to see the person, well, I want to see the robot reproduce itself. I want to see the robots develop, you know, theories on religion and psychology. I want it to be that, you know, human, realistic, you know, Mm -hmm. even to the point of wiping us out and continuing on its everlasting way through the universe. I think of Terminator. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and that's where it's going. You know, we see the robots, MIT is creating, okay, and then we see its implementation. Oh, it's going to deliver your pizza. It's going to... It's going to check into your hotel. It's going to make the hamburgers at this burger place. It's going to it's going to do all these things to the point where, you know, the human will just be a suggestion yeah. in among the cogs of robotics. You know, oh, you had an idea. Well, that's nice human. Uh, you know, go back over there and chip bricks or whatever the case is, you know. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if we're slaved in a robotic world, they'll have their own brick chippers. But what will be our role? You know, will it be like the Matrix? Will we just be in pods? Will they be sucking wow. our brain forces? We will have no role. They're, they're, they'll they'll get rid of us. It sounds like something. Wow. <laughs> I worry about that stuff because yeah. I'm weird. I feel like yeah, yeah. <laughs> Greg has a lot of information on his brain about um, cyborgs. I'm and... a big conspiracy theory guy, and that's like one of those ones that I dove deep into the rabbit hole on one day. I was like, oh my gosh, what have I done to myself? Because now I'm. <laughs> I've spent the last four hours reading about how robots are like secretly plotting to take over the world. And I'm like, oh man. And and all my personal <laughs> no, conspiracy days. Yeah. I mean, you're not gonna get those thoughts out of your head. Nope. Right, right. That's a that's a genie once out of the bottle. It can't be unknown. Right. And there's only one trajectory for that for the dreams we have for all this tech, and that's that it destroy us and take over our world. Isn't that? If well, if I can't, you know, put my consciousness over into it, you know, surely we just want to see the fulfillment of human potential. You know, this would be the greatest human accomplishment if we could create life, hmm. life eternal. You know, like okay, just as long. And and the other thing, by the way, are you gonna say something, Greg? No. Okay. No, the other thing, uh, people talking about, hey, let me freeze my body, and when I come back, or hey, why don't we just put my consciousness over into that robot, and uh, I'll run that forever. Now, you know, mm-hmm. Scientology, you know, they talk about things like that, you know, yeah. other plants. Okay, all that can happen. You know, you create a, a doll body and you can inhabit it, a meat body and you can inhabit it or whatever. Uh, but there's a couple problems uh, with that. I think the first thing is, um, at least nowadays, most of us don't have continuity of consciousness. So until we've attained that, every time we leave the body during sleep, we black out. Every time we die and between lives and come back. We black out. We can't remember it. Mm. Uh, every life, we have a different looking body. We have our ethereal bodies putting together a, a different physiognomy. But once a person attains continuity of consciousness in the dream realm, in the waking state, so that they're half dreaming, half awake, and when they're awake here, so they're in the spirit realm, at that point, then they don't have to dispose of their ethereal body every time. So they can come back life after life after life looking the same. What I'm seeing is in the transference of consciousness as it relates to these robots, though, this isn't about a personal spiritual evolution. This is about transferring what I see is just a copy of our consciousness into a robot. So we're taking this ISO, this image, this disk image or uh, of who we are, and we're copying it onto this robot, but we're not really that disk we're not in that file there's a copy of us there's a second instance that behaves like us Hmm. but we're our spirit's going to be going off in the other realm other direction so we think by making a copy and installing it in this body we're going to live forever but 
you know, the spirit, this isn't Ghostbusters. It isn't captured in that. Right. You're just looking at data and trying to reproduce it based on the decisions that person made. It's so like them. Mm-hmm. But it could never be them. I mean, it's a little witchcraft and a little bit of more science. I'm sure it could be, you know. <laughs> yeah. I just yeah. saw this amazing video on YouTube of this, and it's terrible, too. This guy buys this box off eBay, and it's supposed to be made by this black witch. And, and apparently a, an evil spirit was put into the box, and it was uh, covered with wax. And he bought it, I don't know if it was in the black, uh, you know, dark web or, or Amazon. It was like 50 bucks. <laughs> And so this guy... There's not much of a difference between the two. <laughs> I was kind of thinking the same thing. This guy puts uh, his Geigo meter counter around the box that he gets and nothing. And then he puts it on the back and it starts going off. He's like, oh, there's an electromagnetic impulse. Now, this video is kind of crazy. And wow. then, so then he's like, oh, okay, well, I got to get in here. Which, okay. So then he breaks the wax seal and all of a sudden, beep, the thing stops beeping. And at that moment in the video, you realize the spirit just got out of the box. Because now he's not getting a reading and all this and all that was in there is this crystal and whatever else. Well, he's making this YouTube video and all of a sudden his pictures in the background start moving and, a, and his YouTube thing falls off to the ground, you know, that's hanging on the wall. And, you know, he's hearing sounds in the bathroom and he's like, you know, obviously he's let the spirit loose in his house and he was a skeptic doing it for fun. And now his house is infested and he had to run out of his house and go stay at his brother's house. So, wow. uh, so Yeah. Spirits being captured like Ghostbusters happens every day. Okay. <laughs> um, I don't know. You know, obviously, people are trying to, you know, use different rituals and things in order to like psychically absorb other people's spiritual energy. There's rituals that people do trying to, you know, cannibalize other people's spirits and things like that. Hmm. So there is a transference of spiritual energy. There is kind of like this capturing, catch and release thing going on. I don't know if souls are being sold like in bottles to the rich or what. Wow. To be drank. That's dark web stuff for sure. Uh, Greg, where can I buy a bottled soul? Uh, I imagine there's there's a section on eBay for that. <laughs> as long as it's covered in wax. Yes. I want that thing getting out at the wrong time. Um. Okay. Fantastic. So, so Robert, half of your question here is, will technology bring people closer to the spirit? I'm wondering, can it? Good question. And you know what? I can only think of one way that I've really been brought closer to the spirit as thanks to technology. And that is because of the internet, because knowledge is going to and fro. Yeah. There's a lot of information, I imagine, 10, 20 years ago, before the internet was as filled up with information as accessible as it is now, I would never know about. I've come into so many new schools of thought and right. philosophies and things, which could have only come through you know, the overabundance and avalanche of information on the internet. Right. So if there is that, this is the heyday, the time when the sun's shining to make hay. You know, before the web is taken down, before it's restricted and censored, mm. when you can go out and learn anything you want and fill up your mental stores with that knowledge to carry with you in the wintertime, in trying times, when freedoms aren't available, when the technology isn't servicing us or it's the reverse or something like that. Right, right. And so in that way, it's brought me close to the spirit. But also it offers just as, it you know, even more ways to be pulled from the spirit. Sure. 
because just having it around is a, a temptation. It's a temptation for laziness, you know, to have mm-hmm. it automate what happens in our life. And all of a sudden now we're depending on technology to take care of, you know, our day-to-day stuff, you know, our mental philosophy, the way we were thinking about life, everything is satiated through the serotonin and dopamine hits that we get through the, you know, fun stuff and the things that, you know, satiate our curiosity and, right, you know, not to mention, you know, you know, all this sensuality and what's happened to humanity as a result of, you know, just porn everywhere. Right, right. So... But there's also Rudolf Steiner available on there's the RudolfSteinerAudio.com. That's right. RudolfSteinerAudio.com. <laughs> yes. So, and, and we're using technology right now as well. And we're using technology. We're trying to make the best use out of it. Yeah. Um, you know, there's something kind of disconcerting about the whole thing. Steiner said that he, back in the 20s and so, he said he wouldn't want to commit his voice to recording unless he could do it by means of fire. Wow. And you got to remember, he was an occultist, esotericist. Right. And, of course, you know, they were a little bit, doing a little bit better than wax cylinders, I think. Um, so I don't know if maybe, you know, he could have considered electricity as fire element. Mm, yeah. And maybe yeah. this is. And I think part of that is because, you know, then the nature is bringing it up and only carrying the essence along spiritually, wow. I imagine. Yeah. Um, some say that technology he was describing just isn't invented yet. Right. You know, where we can record and blast out fire and talk in that way interesting interesting uh but some do believe that you know we imprison ourselves by writing a single word on a piece of paper we become stuck in this dimension uh you know people write you know vows and blood uh if some people believe we record our voice yeah you know if we take our have our picture taken as part of our soul taken yeah i've heard that before if uh you know in the book of enoch it talks about you know, the things that are written being committed to eternity. And so there being so much weight to what we commit to paper. Wow. That your words are spells, that the magic, the power of life and death is in the tongue. Yeah. And so every form of creation and communication, however innocuous and innocent, is creating spiritual forces. It's permanent in one sense. It's creating a spiritual life that if we realized, maybe we would speak less. Hmm. And the more I study that, the more I regret doing what I'm doing every day. <laughs> but at the same time, I kind of wonder, like, um, just on a practical level, I think about, let's let's say, like Ram Dass back in the in the 70s, he takes this journey to India to meet the guru or to find the guru, and it's like nowadays we don't have to buy a plane ticket and fly across the world. There are videos of of actual gurus. There's RudolphSteiner.com. They, you know, so and again, I go, man. The essence of what these people are saying, the spirit of what they're saying, has been captured mm-hmm. and and can be experienced over and over again on YouTube, over and over again. And so, for some people that would have maybe, you know, thirty years ago, forty years ago, said, "I have to fly to India and find a guru," well, now they can just click on YouTube, you know. And I go, it. Yeah, and you is know, that a useful tool? You know, that's interesting <laughs> because I can still see the auric outline around people in video footage that was recorded decades ago. Mm. Invisible forces that were captured and these electromagnetic strips that can be seen by a carnal eye and yet still exist much later. So seeing these invisible things, imagine, 
you know, what other <clears throat> invisible elements or whatever yeah. are uh, committed to tape, including intentions and the p- power of the spirit as it's being pushed off of, you know, whatever teacher, Osho, Sad Guru. Y'all should look those guys up. Uh-huh. So we'll talk about maybe next week uh, how the school system second life out children, shaming God out of them, and that's so terrible. Um, next week I'll be talking to Dale Brunsvolt again. I'm uh, mm. going to be doing an interview there live with him. So uh, he's the reader of Rudolf Steiner's audiobooks, RudolfSteinerAudio.com, and uh, visit us at SpiritualRealities.net. Like and follow us on Spiritual uh, Facebook.com/SpiritualRealities. You can check out some of the work I'm doing in the world um, at imaginevegancafe.com. My wife and I run a cafe. It's all vegan here in Memphis. And we also make music. Uh, You can check out our original music at 3dayflight.com. 3day flight is where he's making music. Um, So if y'all have any questions, comments, concerns, please uh, write me at robert at newprecept.com if you need a numerology report. Uh, I would be happy to try to help you with that too. Uh, just email me your full name at birth, your social security number, uh, your favorite color. And I just need your full name at birth, the name you go by now, and your birth date. Please keep your social security number to yourself. I say somebody's gonna do that. Somebody's <laughs> gonna do it. <laughs> <laughs> so you, so you sound so you sound so believably. Just just send me your social security number. It's fine. I'm not gonna use it for anything. I promise. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just gonna do some mathematical equations on it. Figure out. Yeah. Um, also, I w- want to touch on this because we got one minute left. Got about about thirty seconds actually. Oh, 30 seconds. <laughs> I don't know if I can do this. Uh, I just want to point out that y'all should check out the Aquarian Gospel of Jesus the Christ. Jesus was a man in whom the Christ was born into, and the Christ and the Father were one. Mm. And so when they tried to bow down to Jesus, he said there is none good except the Father. This is after his ministry started, and the Mm. Christ is one with the Father, and the Father is one with the Christ. And the Christ is in everybody's soul, yeah, which is the Mother Mary allegory. It's in everybody. And so when it comes to life, we're going to have many interdimensional experiences. We'll talk next week about that more in depth. The most important thing in life is the power of your word.